Welcome to Safety Talk. Personal safety expert Pete Canavan shares his insights and interviews experts who provide simple and effective tips, techniques, and technologies to keep you safe and secure both online and off. Here's Pete. Hello, and welcome to another informative episode of Safety Talk. I am your host and personal safety expert, Pete Canavan, and I am joined by my colleague, branding and social media expert, Neil Haley. How are you doing today, Neil? I'm doing fantastic, Pete. Always great to... Mondays finally become great when we know we're going to be together. It's before that, the hard day, especially daylight savings, but now, hey... We got through it, and it's Monday night, and we made it through that first day, right? That's a challenge. That's all right. Yeah. Well, hey, I always make my Mondays the long days, so it uh, makes the rest of the week easy. So uh, first, um, we're going to do is, uh, you know, we're going to be introducing our guest in a minute, but just wanted to touch base real quick on some of the safety news this past week, because we, you know, one of the things we talk about in the show is, you know, your personal safety and all the different things that can affect your personal safety. And unfortunately, here in the United States and Alabama, uh, this past week, we had an absolutely terrible tragedy uh, related to severe weather. Uh, there were two back-to-back tornadoes in Alabama last week, and they claimed the lives of 23 people and absolutely completely obliterated wow. the town of Beauregard. So, you know, it's just one more thing to think about that, you know, our personal safety is something that we always, I think, in many cases take for granted. And I'm sure that the people there in Beauregard, Alabama, really were thinking that, uh, you know, even with a tornado warning that, you know, uh, you know, it's going to be a tornado, maybe it'll be bad, maybe it's not. But I'm sure the people that lost their lives never thought that that was going to happen to them. So, you know, I, that's one of the things that I always talk about is the risk that severe weather brings your personal safety. A few weeks back uh, on a previous episode, we were talking about the risk of major snowstorms and severe cold. And, you know, so this recent example just illustrates all too well the need to understand the risks to your safety that exists where you live, where you work, where you go to school, et cetera. Exactly. So, mm-hmm. so if you live anywhere where there's a risk of severe weather, you know, whether it's fires, floods, tornadoes, et cetera, you know, that risk can sometimes become a really nasty reality. So that's uh, a perfect segue into today's topic. And, you know, this week we've got an absolutely another incredible guest for you. And our guest on today's show is a gentleman by the name of John Vespasian. And he's the author of 10 books and has lived in several countries, including Germany, Italy, France, Spain. And recently he is uh, actually in the Netherlands, which is where he's joining us from today. So being able to travel around the world has allowed John to accumulate a worldwide perspective on many topics, including how to thrive during challenges, during difficult times, and through disruptions. And he's written books about rational living and stress relief and becoming unbreakable, which is something I love because I'm always talking about the warrior mindset and how to use that to persevere. So uh, in today's fast-paced world, stressful world, these are all important topics for discussion. So welcome to Safety Talk, John, and thanks for being on the show. Hi, uh, Pete. Uh, thanks for having me on. We're real glad you could make it on the show today. I know it's very early in the morning for you there in the Netherlands. So uh, I know how tough that can be um, to get up early, but we appreciate that. Now, something else that's really tough is writing a book, let alone 10 books. Now, I mean, I've written five so far and you doubled that and, you know, I've got some more in me and I'm sure you've got some more in you, but 
I guess when you really know your subject matter, it's not, you know, that terribly tough. And, you know, I'm kind of interested. Have you, have you found that to be true as well? Um, it's always tough. Uh, it's, uh, it's always, uh, requiring discipline uh, to get, uh, down to writing. Uh, what I do is to be extremely, uh, organized, uh, because I know I cannot just put it off unless you do it every day and as you do it every week, it's very difficult, uh, to produce uh, one book per year. Yes. And you mentioned it before we got started that that's yeah. your goal. <laughs> a book a year. Wow. Is, is... <laughs> wow. How do you keep yourself organized to keep writing and cranking out books? Um, I work uh, backwards um, in the sense that uh, when people write books, most of the time they will just uh, figure out what to do and then they will research and then they will write. Uh, I work uh, backwards in the sense that uh, I read a lot, I take notes, I travel, I have material now for uh, another dozen books and I'm taking notes all the time and organizing notes and when I want to write the next book, uh, the research and the subject is already done, I just have to write it. So in a sense that um, I don't need a lot of creativity because they, I'm just doing research all the time. So they write themselves. So you start from the, from the end of the book. So I, I assume that means that whatever you're wanting, whatever answer you want the book or whatever question you want the book to answer, that's where you begin and then work backwards from there? Uh, yes, I always write stories. Uh, my books, um, they all have the same structure. They, they are based on history. They're based on um, uh, real people, biographies. Uh, what I do in each book is to go through a, a series of stories and to draw uh, practical lessons that people can apply in their own lives um, uh, today. Uh, the latest book, which is called Undisrupted, is about um, uh, how to deal with disruptions in your own life. It's based on, on uh, real stories. Uh, i just tell you the story that uh, gave me the idea for the book. Sure. I was reading the, the biography of a, of a Russian industrialist. Uh, his name is uh, Sava Mamontov. He was very uh, wealthy, uh, not very well known outside Russia, but in the 19th century, he was one of the major uh, European industrialists. And the biography is super interesting because uh, this guy, uh, in his 40s, he was uh, king of the, of the world. He was um, uh, building railroads uh, from Moscow to the east, uh, a celebrity on all newspapers, uh, and then uh, he destroyed his life. I found uh, the story super intriguing. He was very intelligent, uh, very well educated, but uh, he made a series of mistakes. He started uh, other businesses he wanted to expand, uh, something that very often uh, people will do. Uh, so he started uh, to build um, uh, steel mills, uh, thinking that his management ability would allow him to do anything in life. And he made uh, some mistakes. He started to lose money. He panicked. He panicked. This is something that uh, goes through all the stories of people who, um, who are uh, wiped out uh, by disruption. He panicked. He started uh, to cover the losses in one company with the cash flow from the other company. His shareholders uh, found out he was sued, and he lost everything. Uh, they, they filed criminal charges against him. Uh, he um, uh, was put on trial. He was on the newspapers for six months on the front page every day because he was one of the top celebrities in Russia, and he lost everything. He, uh, his friends wouldn't talk to him. People would just uh, cross the street, not just to avoid uh, Mamontov, and he spent the last uh, 17 years of his life in total misery. And I found the typical story of what you want to avoid in life. You want to avoid these kind of disruptions. You want to avoid um, these kind of situations where 
everything you have, your health, uh, your money, your, your uh, friends, you lose everything. So I wrote right. a book about the subject, story after story, what you should do and we should, uh, what you should refrain from doing. The book uh, has an interesting title, The Undisrupted, How Highly Effective People Deal with Disruptions. And so, you know, you wrote an entire book on this, but, you know, it's kind of a maybe a tough question to answer or maybe not. Uh, but what would you say is the key to dealing effectively with disruptions? Because, you know, so many people today have a million things that disrupt our lives, whether it's something with work or at home or school or our kids, you know, and so... That's something that I think everybody sh can really take some value away from uh, is your insights there. Yeah. Um, well, there are several ideas in the book. I go through them in detail. But if I just give you the, one of the key ideas, um, one thing that you should always do when you're dealing with disruptions, with problems, adversity, sickness, uh, is to react always uh, from your strengths, not, not improvise, never improvise. Uh, you have to see... Um, uh, when you have uh, a business problem, uh, don't go into a business uh, you don't nothing you know anything about. Um, if you have uh, routines or you are disrupted in your family or your your interests, um, don't improvise. Build on something you already know. Build on your skills. Build on people who already know you. Build on your business. And let me just give you quickly an example. And uh, which was also one of the key uh, ideas uh, I uh, developed in the book uh, is a story of a, of a lawyer. His name was Kovalevsky. Uh, he was very well known uh, in the early 20th century because he was the first person in history uh, who figured out uh, how um, uh, from uh, small horses, you see in the, when you go to a museum, uh, a, a museum of history, you see these, uh, these fossils of small horses. They're all around North America, they're in South America, they're also in Europe. But until the 19th century, until Kowalewski, nobody had figured out how these very small horses, I'm not talking the size of a cat, uh, became uh, the huge horses we have today. Uh, and it was a mystery. People actually thought that uh, they were two different species. Uh, and Kowalewski was the first person to figure out how it happened. And it happened through disruptions. It happened uh, because these small horses used to live in, in the woods, uh, they used to eat uh, leaves, uh, and eventually the, the trees, uh, due to change in climatic change, they, they started to grow. They could not eat leaves, so they have to go outside, have to go into the prairie, and it was very dangerous. There were very uh, big cats uh, uh, eating the horses, uh, running around the horses, and they started to run faster. Uh, they started to become bigger because they have to deal with uh, disruptions. They have to survive, right. and this uh, running and surviving, uh, each generation grew a little bit bigger and a little bit bigger because they have to escape. Those who could not run would die. And those who could run, they would reproduce and become even bigger. And it took a few thousand years, but thanks to their strengths, because they were building on they could do, they could escape and they could survive. And it's a very important lesson. Always rely on your strengths, rely on your assets. Do not improvise like Mamontov did. Uh, do not improvise because you will be most likely wiped out. Wow. And so, and so, that, so in so many ways, we have to learn that we're going to, we can't eliminate distractions. We have to learn to deal with them. And we have to be able to identify when they happen. It sounds like what you're saying. Um, yes, okay. But many times you will not be able to uh, figure out because, uh, I mean, life is complex. You can, to a certain extent, if you have good advisors, you can figure out 99%. There will always be 
um, something that uh, nobody could figure out, some economic disruption, some uh, major, I don't know, whatever, and then you're on your own. And the whole purpose of, uh, of the book is to give you the principles, to give you the ideas that you can always use to survive, uh, even in situations that uh, nobody could have uh, foreseen. Yeah, and, you know, there are, you know, sort of a little bit of natural selection going on there too. But obviously, like you said, they, they play to their strengths. And I think that's that very good advice for people, especially when, you know, when you're dealing with, you know, some turbulent and, you know, times that are filled with sort of turmoil, which I think today's world, we are seeing that more and more where, you know, in, in times like that, you know, almost like where the horses had to survive, you know, this, this show's all about safety and, you know, to survival to a certain extent as well. So in, in these times that we're living through right now, is it possible for individuals to sort of do the same thing as you, you talk about in, in that example of the horses where they, you know, how do they, how do they protect themselves? How do they evolve? Yes, it is possible. Uh, let me just give you an example because this, this uh, principles, okay, they are very nice uh, to hear, but it's not uh, self-evident how to apply them uh, in real life. So let me just give you an example. Look, one of the um, uh, major personalities in the 1950s and 60s uh, was Albrecht Schweitzer. He was uh, a, a theologian. Uh, he was working in university. He was giving uh, uh, courses. Uh, he changed his life completely because he wanted to become a missionary in Africa. Uh, he got the idea because he was very unhappy with his life. He was in his uh, 30s and he was teaching at the university and he wanted to become a real Christian. Uh, for him, it was a driver uh, his whole life. Uh, and also he was very unhappy because his life was disconnected. He was a guy who in the morning would teach uh, theoretical uh, theology and in the evening uh, he was a passionate uh, musician. He would play uh, Bach, he would play the organ in the cathedral. And he had this, these two sides. On the one side, he was very intellectual. On the other side, very uh, passionate, very creative. And he was very unhappy. The guy was uh, going through very difficult times. How he decided from one day to the next, I'm going to Africa, I'm going to become a missionary, which was incredible. I mean, it means completely disrupting his own life uh, to a way, in, in an extent that very few people will do, especially when you are already uh, well-established. So the guy went looking for a job as a missionary. Uh, he applied and he was rejected because they told him, look, what are you going to do in Africa? You have no skills. You're a professor. Uh, you will not be able to do anything. So uh, he went back and he quit his job and he went to study medicine. Uh, he enrolled in the, in the faculty of medicine. He was already in his mid-30s. He quit his job. He studied medicine for four years. And then he came back and said, now I am a physician. I can work in Africa. And they told him, okay, uh, we give you a chance. So he went to Africa. He married uh, a woman who was uh, in line with his ideas. And the disruption he went was amazing. Uh, I mean, uh, almost impossible uh, to uh, survive for most people. But he did one thing that, and this I want to underline because it's super in intelligent strategy. When he went to Africa, and you have to imagine it was, it took a week eh, just to get there. I mean, it was really amazing. And uh, he took with him a secondhand piano. And this is something that very few, people, very few people know about Schweitzer, but he was a very clever guy. He thought, look, if everything fails, if I go to Africa and it's a complete disaster, if I don't like it, I can always go back to my music. Because he could not go back to his job, but he could always make a living uh, playing uh, in the church. He was a very good uh, organist. And he thought, oh, but if I lose my skills, 
We can fall back on one of his strengths, right? <laughs> yeah. Uh, then he took this piano, a second-hand piano, a very cheap, upright piano. He took it to Africa, and when he was there, uh, starting his hospital, he would play every day for an hour to keep his skills. Uh, when he ran out of money, he went back to Europe, and he played uh, in uh, cathedrals. He played the organ for a few months. He rose money, and he went back to Africa. And thanks to this uh, backup uh, plan, uh, just by keeping his skills uh, to a high level, he was able to fund his hospital uh, through difficult times. And he did all his life. He continued to play Sundays, uh, Mondays, Tuesdays, every day, sitting in the middle of the savannah where there are only lions and whatever. Uh, and people uh, just staring at him and saying, what is this guy doing? He was playing the piano every day to keep the skill. And this is something, a very important lesson. If you want to stay safe, uh, keep your systems going every day. Even if uh, it looks like a waste of time, uh, think of Schweitzer. This guy was super clever. He went to Africa, but he played the piano every day. It looks completely out of place, but this kept his uh, life very safe uh, because at certain times he could not stay in Africa. He had to go back, and he always had a source of income. Interesting. Okay. I was wondering how we're going to tie that in. So. Right, right. I'm yes. <laughs> that was Definitely. good. Yeah, yeah. <clears throat> Well, and, it, and it's and it's an example that, you know, people will, you know, hopefully remember because, you know, we all have skills that we don't fully utilize because we don't see the need for them because there is maybe no, you know, as in Schweitzer's instance, you know, no immediate need, but yet it's something that we need to practice and we need to be, uh, you know, stay sharp with. And that, you know, is true in everybody's lives in dealing with, adversity and dealing with things that can potentially occur to them but you know they may and they may not but you know what it's a little bit of insurance policy that you can you know take on but with yourself to ensure that there are things that will allow you to persist and survive if there is some sort of some major problem so you know it's uh, it's very interesting uh now people that have, have, you know, survived major adversities in their life. Uh, what, what are some lessons that maybe we can learn from that? Just, uh, you know, that sort of similar uh, takeaway, would you say there, John? Um, well, let me just tell you a little story uh, to Lots explain the principle. <laughs> um, because this is absolutely not self-evident. Uh, when people uh, have uh, severe adversity, are facing severe problems, uh, we all get uh, very stressed, very emotional. Uh, sometimes we panic. And we think, okay, there's no solution. I'm going to die. It is terrible. I lost everything. And I found uh, from the stories in the book, one of the uh, ones that really deals with this problem is the story of uh, Django Reinhardt. He was a, a guitar player, a very famous guitar player in the 1940s, 1930s. And when he was uh, at the beginning of his career, uh, he was a gypsy. He was living in, a, in a, one of these uh, traveling uh, cars. There was no electricity, so they, they used candles. And during the night, uh, a candle was upturned and the, the car uh, burned. So the guy was sleeping and he woke up and he could not get out. He suffered uh, severe burnings. And he lost one of his fingers. Uh, for a guitar player, this is basically the end of the career. Right? I mean, to play guitar right. with... Uh, but uh, Reinhardt uh, had no choice. Uh, he, he wanted to make money as a gypsy. He had no alternative. He had no education. He had no, no connections. He, he only knew how to play the guitar. That's how, how he made a living. 
And this happens um, in situations where people say, okay, I have no choice. What the hell am I going to do? And, and uh, he came with a very interesting insight uh, because uh, everybody told him, look, uh, give up, you never make it. And he thought, okay, maybe I can find a solution, maybe I can find a solution. And there you have the principle. And when you have these kind of situations uh, that um, uh, they look impossible to solve because there is no precedent. I mean, nobody in history had actually solved uh, this problem. Uh, what you have to do is to look at similar situations, look at uh, similar uh, bankruptcies, similar uh, sickness, uh, similar uh, injuries, and see how people can solve the problem. And then um, uh, Reinhardt looked at different uh, situations. Maybe he could adapt uh, the guitar. And in the end, he came up with a solution. He said, maybe I can play faster. If I play faster, uh, I could make up for one fingerless uh, if I play 25% faster. And he trained for six months with this logic. And it was logical because he saw examples of different people who have solved problems by just doing things a little bit faster. Mm, and he exactly. played, and after six months, he was able to play um, very, very fast. And when you listen to uh, Reinhardt, one of his records, it's amazing because nobody can play like this. He, the guy who uh, was able to play gypsy music, he became extremely famous, uh, very wealthy. He traveled through the U.S. Uh, he, in France, he was a great uh, celebrity in Belgium. And he had a very nice life just because he figured out how to solve uh, a big problem, how to deal with a disruption by copying uh, something that people have been doing for similar situations. So you can always find uh, in history many solutions, many solutions, many examples. When you're dealing with huge disruptions, right, right. Um, try to find inspiration in similar stories because you will never find someone exactly with the same problem, but you can always find similarities. Now, sure. Now now, when I, I hear you talk about this, in a lot of ways, you're saying that from our mistakes, we learn those examples to take with us. So it's investigation a lot when we have these distractions around us and different things and how to deal with certain things and with adversity and kind of it's, uh, you know, learn from the mistakes, keep trying, retry different things and move forward till you finally get it. And it's a trial yeah. and error and an investigation and scientific thing in a lot of ways we need to live our lives. Is that yes, why there, there is something... you encourage your readers to embrace certain kinds of disruptions because it, it, it forces them to sort of fall back on their strengths and to come out the other side, you know, stronger? Um, well, uh, sometimes you have no choice. If you're in a situation where you're stuck and you have, um, I don't know, a sickness or you lost your job or whatever, uh, you have to go through disruptions. You have no, no choice. And you have to explore uh, different possibilities. You have to try to, uh, to find solutions. And um, the, you have to motivate yourself uh, to do that. And this is, um, this is a very important aspect. Because go back to the situation I was, I was uh, speaking uh, about, this, this Reinhardt uh, guy who was uh, burned. And he was actually in hospital for several months. How do you motivate yourself in this situation where, where it seems completely hopeless? And this is why I, I, I recommended the book, find similar situations where people recovered uh, because they will inspire you. They will show you uh, it is possible. Even if it's not exactly the same situation, you can find uh, solutions that will bring you back to safety uh, because you say, ah, this guy did it. I can do it. Otherwise, it's very difficult uh, to find motivation because then you say, okay, pfft, it's impossible. It's impossible. I will never be able to do it. But this Reinhardt, he found examples and he had a logic because in the end, you say, okay, if I do it faster, it should work. And it works. Yeah, there's, there are always things that uh, 
when we're of strong mind and we step back and we think for a minute, you know what? There's always someone else who has it worse than me. You know, he maybe lost a finger. Somebody else might have lost a hand or an arm. So if you take whatever is affecting you in your life and sort of extrapolate it out, you can really start to put things in perspective, you know, like, oh, you you complain that you got to put your car in the shop because, you know, you need new tires. Well, be glad you don't have to walk five miles to work every day that you have a car. So we, we can take some of the problems that we have that maybe annoy us a little bit more than they should and begin to put them in perspective. And I think that helps us mentally and physically and emotionally sort of get past the things that could otherwise be, you know, obstacles that may, you know, be a little bit more severe, but, but, you know, it starts to cross our minds that we maybe, you know, should give up. And so, um, you know, that, that's something that we can't do. We have to always think, look, it could always be worse, no matter how bad it is, it could always be worse. I mean, the only thing that, you know, the worst thing is, you know, when you're dead and you're gone, I mean, then there's nothing worse than that. Right. But up until that point, there are always things that we can do to get us through, get us to the other side. And, you know, that's something that I, I, I like about that story because, you know, he took something that was a potential, you know, sort of you know, death sentence for him with his, his career as a musician and a guitar player. And he figured out a way to turn that into something positive. And that, that's a fantastic thing. Now, yeah, that's what we have to do. And um, now you mentioned positive thinking. I, I just want to make a qualification uh, because uh, nowadays, I mean, the 21st century seems to be the century of uh, this positive thinking and the law of attraction and these kind of the ideas. Uh, you have to be a bit careful with that. Um, when the, the first, uh, and let me just tell you a little story about this uh, positive thinking in the tense of disruption because the principle is super important. Look, the first person who came with uh, these ideas of uh, being positive and, and trying to, uh, to solve problems in this way was Emile Coué. He was a pharmacist uh, living in France in the, in the 19th century. Uh, he studied, he was a, a person with very modest background. He went to university, he got a degree, and he, he established a small pharmacy in a, in a, in a town in France. Uh, he wanted uh, to improve his business, but he didn't know how. Uh, he tried different things, did nothing work. And eventually he saw an advertisement in a newspaper about the course on uh, hypnotism. I thought, oh, this room looks very interesting. Uh, and it was in another town, so he had to, to think um, how to do it because he had to close down his business for a couple of weeks just to attend this course. Eventually he saved some money. He went to this course about hypnotism. Uh, he found it very interesting and he went back, reopened the business and thought, okay, how can I use it? How can I use it? And he started something unique in history, uh, the, this uh, positive thinking um, uh, trend, because he started to apply uh, suggestion, positive suggestion and visualization on his patients. So when somebody went to his pharmacy, basically to buy herbal preparations, he would sell uh, chamomile preparation, uh, sage, uh, this kind of uh, preparations. He told them, you are going to get well. You are go if you take this twice a day, uh, after two weeks, you'll be fine. Uh, people, uh, they came back uh, two weeks later and say, wow, it worked. Uh, and why did it work? It, it was not the suggestion. It was the the, Their mind. the reinforcement. Because when people got convinced that uh, it was going to work, they got motivated to do it. And they would take the medicine, uh, the preparation, very religiously twice a day. They would never miss it because they know how this guy told me it's going to work. 
And this guy was a pharmacist, was a scientist. He was making statistics and he saw, oh, this is amazing, it works. People recover much faster. Sure. Uh, he became very famous. Uh, people would go hundreds of kilometers just to go to this pharmacy. Uh, within a few years, the guy retired very wealthy because he discovered uh, how to use positive thinking. And this is the idea, very important. Use positive thinking to reinforce good habits, not for fantasy. Uh, this guy was telling people, take the herbal preparation and you will well. He didn't, told, uh, he didn't tell them it's magic. It's not magic. You have to put the action together with the positive thinking. Right. Well, and that's an interesting sort of segue yeah, because... Definitely. I want to before well, question Pete about this whole law of attraction and what his okay. belief in this whole law of attraction thing is before we get to the next question that's going to, I'm sure. I've done a lot of training on this. So I want to give you your take on the law of attraction. I honestly believe in anything in life, you're going to be negative person. You're going to run into negative things. I mean, that's not common sense because in your mind, you're already saying you're not going to succeed, but what is your thought on the law of attraction? I've done tons of training on the law of attraction. It's absolutely real. I've attracted things to myself. I could tell you stories. You wouldn't believe it. I attracted my house to myself. I attracted my Corvette to myself. I attracted all kinds of things to myself over the years. And a lot of it has to do with putting out that positive energy and, and being focused with passion and emotion on what it is that you're looking to achieve. And then you have to let go and let the universe bring it to you. And that's the law of attraction in a nutshell. And I've done hours and hours of training on this, many, many trainings uh, on the law of attraction for different companies and because it works. And just like this guy uh, who is talking about, you know, in John's story, you know, there are there's a huge amount of power in the human mind. And if you have belief which is what these people had that were coming to the pharmacy, that what this guy is telling you, because he's an expert, he's a pharmacist, he's a scientist, he knows what he's talking about, then that belief and that strong emotion within that person would probably have even brought about those results if they didn't even take the medication, because the body is the power to heal itself. So there's a lot of things going on. I could talk about that for a long time, but uh that's uh, that's my take on on the whole thing because it it definitely works, you know. Fun stuff. Uh, now, John, why in your book do you warn against prophets of doom? Wouldn't you say that today, with all the negativity out in the world, that you know the pessimism is kind of justified out there today? It's hard to us to be positive and think positively and attract things to ourselves, like you know that we want. Um, uh, yes, the, but okay, every time you, you open the newspaper, so it seems the, the world is uh, coming to the end. Um, good, good it's very easy. I mean, if you consume a lot of media, a lot of uh, news, uh, it's very easy to become negative, to become uh, despairing, to become uh, a passive, uh, because that's part of the business. I mean, if you run a media uh, enterprise, uh, you want to make things that are sensational, people get uh, hooked on the news. Uh, you always uh, talking about catastrophes. Uh, you have to be careful with this. Uh, this makes you very vulnerable uh, because you become passive, you become uh, scared. Uh, you start to give up and say, okay, there's nothing I can do. Uh, I'm going to be destroyed. I lose everything. And this mentality is widespread. Uh, in, the, in the 21st century where people spend a huge amount of time on uh, social media and uh, on, on consuming news and, and this kind of stuff, 
you can very easily get hooked on the on the negative uh, aspect of things, and you have to realize that most of the time uh, the news are exaggerated. Um, sure. I, I live in Europe where. Okay, it happens every uh, few weeks that there is some new catastrophe, some new threat, some new story. And in the end, you look at it in perspective and say, look, come on, this is a joke. I mean, uh, nothing really happened. Uh, but don't get scared. Uh, don't overconsume this kind of media. Uh, there are too many prophets of doom um, uh, giving you completely exaggerated views of the world. It's much better to be practical, to be realistic, uh, to try to stay safe, to take uh, adopt measures. Uh, to protect yourself instead of becoming scared. And protect, like you just said, protect your mind. Like, I don't read the newspaper because you it, everything from the first headline to the last is all about negativity. It's about crime. It's about negative politics. It's about things that are sensational that, that are put out there to sell papers because bad news sells. Catastrophes sell. You know, these things are what sells newspapers. And it's really sad because the number of positive articles that you find in any periodical or on any news program on television for that matter is minuscule. I mean, you have to really search and dig to actually find something that's positive. And that's a really interesting point, John, is that it's poisoning people's minds. It's putting some fear in them. They're, they're afraid of things. They're, they're wondering, oh, why is, is this, all this happening? You know, what's going on in the world? And it's a, it's a poison, I feel, that is unfortunately being, being perpetrated by so many out there in the media, and they're doing it to sensationalize the news in such a way that it's going to sell more papers or get more people to watch their shows. And so if you replaced even just a portion of that negative you know, information that we're being bombarded with all the time, whether it's from the news or from social media or from whatever, with positive books, you know, books on on life and love and, and attraction and success and health and wealth, those are the things that you're going to begin to attract to yourself way more than if you're not ever dealing with them, if you're not feeding your mind with them, because it's, you know, we are what we, we think about and we are what we focus on. We, that's what we become. And it's a, it's a really strange and scary cycle that we're seeing. And I, I see it getting worse, and I'm sure you do as well. Yes, uh, to a certain extent, um, it's sad uh, to see people uh, give up. Um, it's not only happening in the U.S. You see many people uh, unemployed, uh, trying to uh, survive. But if you concentrate on building your skills, uh, building your systems, uh, having always a backup plan, uh, 99% of the of the situation are going to be solved. Let me just give you an example from history, uh, which is very dramatic. But I think it will it will just drive the the point home. Look, in the in the 14th century, um, uh, 11th, 12th, 13th century, there was a, a military organization which was extremely powerful. It was the the Templars, uh, the Knight Templars. Uh, there are a lot of movies about the Knight Templars. Uh, yes. For 200 years. Uh, they dominated uh, Western Europe. They have castles, they had land, they had uh, gold. And few people know that uh, they disappear overnight. Uh, the story is very intriguing, but uh, it's a fact, a historical fact. Um, they got some conflicts with the king of France. He wanted to take away their money. Uh, what he did, uh, the king, what he did was uh, to, uh, to tramp up some charges, some false charges against uh, the leaders. He arrested uh, a few of them. It was like not many. I mean, like 10 people. He arrested them. He prosecuted and then he had them burned 
at the stake in France. Now the question is, you kill 10 people, uh, 10 people out of an organization, 20,000 20, people, very wealthy, very sophisticated, the best of the best in Europe. You kill 10 people. How is it possible that the organization completely collapsed and they disappeared from history after having all this? Um, I found it very intriguing, uh, very interesting from the point of view of uh, self-protection. And the answer is the following. Uh, the, the, the warriors, the, the, the Knight Templars, uh, they were organized, but uh, the fighting power was actually small because they have 2,000 warriors. They were heavily armored, very well trained, but the other uh, 18,000 was overhead. Uh, they had all this organization, all this uh, logistics, all this stuff, but they could not actually fight. They have these 2,000 people that were very strong, but they were spread all over Europe. They could not just put together an army and go and, and basically take over France because it would have been easy with 20,000 people. But the problem is that uh, they had a huge overhead. They were not prepared uh, to deal with disruptions. If they had had a backup plan with the deputy manager to take over immediately, they could have taken over France easily. The problem is that uh, they were spread all over. They were having a huge overhead. And eventually they killed 10 people and they destroyed the Knight Templars overnight. They collapsed totally and completely. And this is a very important lesson uh, in your um, business life, in your family life. Uh, always have a situation which is stable. You can fall back keep it organized, don't uh, run operations in an ineffective way because then you become extremely uh, vulnerable. Absolutely. No, it makes good. It makes perfect sense. You got to have a backup plan. If you don't have a backup plan and something happens to plan A, right. you're, you're, you're right. done. So planning's important, it sounds like, what I'm hearing. I completely think it's important, but what about on your end? You think that's uh, part of your talking about these distractions is planning for... The future planning for daily you can't just sit there and just say what will whatever will be will be that's not going to work uh certainly and um uh, i give a lot of examples how to um to prepare yourself how to uh, take different measures um the the whole thing that is behind is the the mindset um uh, when you have success and you have a very nice life it's very difficult to motivate yourself uh, to have a backup plan. It's very difficult to motivate yourself to say, what happens if I lose my money in the stock market? What happens if I get uh, sick? Well, it's very difficult because uh, when we are positive, we're positive. Uh, we think nothing can happen to us. We will go on forever, our success. And this is very unrealistic. And this is why I try to explain uh, in the book, uh, it will happen to you sooner or later. Uh, you will have to deal with major disruption. You have to give, deal with adversity. It might not be your fault, but you have to be ready. You have to develop the mentality. You have to develop the tools uh, to protect yourself. Otherwise, uh, you might end up like Mamontov, uh, losing everything. And uh, this is far from ideal. So why, what factors do you think are making people so sort of vulnerable today? Yeah, what, uh, what many people uh, don't realize is that um, uh, you have to prevent uh, trouble before it happens. And if you have this mentality of continuity, which I think is the key factor that uh, makes people vulnerable, if you think, as it is natural to us, to human beings, to think that everything is going to continue in the same way, uh, you become very vulnerable. And this is something that in the 21st century is overemphasized. You look at uh, 
uh, the news, you look at, uh, you read the newspapers, uh, they develop trends. They develop the idea, which is very appealing, that uh, you have one trend and it's going to continue for the next 10 years, 20 years, 30 years. This is extremely unrealistic. And this is why... uh, That's why routines are so dangerous. Yeah, this is why... um, If you have routines, you need routines that are uh, clever, that are well-designed, but don't fall into this um, uh, mentality of linearity that say, okay, everything is going to be fine. My life is going to continue smoothly uh, in this direction because you are fooling yourself. Uh, You need to prepare uh, for disruptions. You need to have backup plan. You need to have savings. You need to have, um, if possible, different sources of income uh, because this will render you practically invulnerable. And that's a great point. Some people have jobs, they lose their job. What do they do next? If they have their own business and then they uh, are relying on a specific stream of income and they don't try to expand to other streams when things can change, you're, you miss out. So you got to constantly look at opportunities and and weigh them, right? And see, is this going to make me money? What should I spend my time on? But I should spend my time on a variety of things, not just one, as you talked about in the story about uh, the the person who uh, had to learn another skill set just to keep practicing that skill. Yeah, this is super important. I would like just to add another idea that I think is uh, also super um, uh, helpful. And I got this idea from a chess player. Uh, his name was uh, Capablanca. He was a Cuban uh, chess player. He lived in the U.S. most of his life. And uh, he became very famous uh, at the beginning of the um, 20th century. He was very famous in the 1920s, 1930s. And he used to play uh, simultaneous games. I don't know if you have seen this um, in real life. It's very impressive. You see a a grandmaster, and he goes into a room. He's surrounded by about 100 uh, different players and different uh, chess boards. He goes around the room. uh, He makes a move on each board, and then he he basically goes around uh, 40 times, and he he wins most of the games. I mean, this this grandmaster, Capablanca, used to win 98%. It was very impressive. And the question is, um, how could he deal uh, with so many different situations, uh, uh, surprises, because he had, I mean, he had to move uh, basically in 10 seconds. He had to make a decision in 10 seconds, situations that sometimes they got very tricky. And how did he do it? I mean, he was obviously a very experienced, uh, experienced chess player, but most of the uh, grandmasters, are not very good at simultaneous games. Uh, Capablanca was exceptional. He could win systematically uh, 98%. He would go around the U.S. uh, uh, with sponsors, and he would play in in hotels, and he would make a lot of money, and people would go to see play uh, Casablanca play. And how he did do it. And this is super important uh, when you're dealing with disruptions. Capablanca uh, gave a very clever advice and said, look, when you're dealing with situations that are uh, very tricky, very complex, and you have to decide within 10 seconds what to do. And this happens when you're dealing with a crisis. It's very, in the end, it's very easy to find the solution. You have to think about the end game. And Casablanca was able to see in a very complex uh, chess uh, situation, he was always able to see the structure, what is behind, uh, what is going to happen in 10 moves, 20 moves, 30 moves. He would simplify the situation and see the end game. The end game is the key uh, to be able to save yourself in very critical situations to say, what will happen? Have 10 seconds to decide, uh, have 10 seconds to make a decision like Capablanca had when he was playing simultaneous games. Uh, he would look at the end game, he would look at the structure, 
and sometimes he would make uh, very uh, uninspiring moves because what he was just doing is to reinforce his position to be very strong in the end game. So when you are dealing with disruptions and you have to make a decision very quickly, try to simplify the, the factors, to simplify the, the parameters and think of the end game because most of the time you will come very quickly to a good uh, decision. And if you have that you know, end game and end goal in mind, you will also subconsciously begin to make the decisions that will bring you to that end result. And that's what's powerful about being able to visualize that end result, whether it's in business, in life, in relationships, in whatever. If you can visualize where it is that you want to go and you've got that clearly defined, everything else you do in your life begins to consciously and subconsciously, you begin to make decisions that are going to bring you there. And that's why visualization is so powerful. That's essentially what this guy was doing. He was visualizing what he wanted out of the end of the game, and then everything was taking him towards that the realization of that successful goal. And that's uh, that's very interesting because that's you know that's something that is something necessary in in being successful is knowing where you're going. If you don't know where you're going, you're just you know a ship without a compass. You're out in the middle of the ocean, floating around. You don't know where you're going. You've got to know where's land, where am I going, what's my destination, and how am I going to get there, and you better have a compass that shows you the way. Yeah, and um, uh, it takes discipline to develop this kind of uh, skill. Um, I find uh, reading stories very interesting because you can draw uh, examples, you can draw the lessons from the examples, but uh, I'm also realistic. It takes sometimes uh, months, sometimes a year uh, to develop these uh, this habits, this, uh, this mentality, um, uh, but okay, it's worth it. I mean, unless you put yourself to do it, uh, to doing that, uh, it's not natural. Human beings, uh, we tend to become very short-term oriented. Uh, sometimes we make a mess because we make contradictory decisions. And what was amazing of Capablanca, when you see his games, his chess games, uh, the guy, uh, you have to realize that he was coming from Cuba. I mean, he was a very, um, very, um, uh, a different background. He came to the U.S. when he was uh, already in his 20s. So it, it was not uh, that uh, he got uh, a, from the very beginning uh, to know the culture. He had to adapt. But he had this mentality, developed his mentality as a child uh, to focus on the essential, to focus on the end game, to, to be um, uh, always uh, simplifying. And he developed this mentality that uh, even when he was under heavy competition because the, the best uh, best uh, chess players in the world, they were in the U.S. at the time, a few in Russia. The guy also traveled uh, to Europe, traveled to Russia, traveled to, uh, to the U.K. And whenever he went, he applied his system and it always worked. He was always uh, able to stay on top. He won uh, many uh, chess uh, tournaments around the world uh, just by using this principle and always focusing on the end game. That's awesome. Now. One of the the things that you know we want to look at is being you know not just successful, but in order to to be happy and to be safe, you know it requires different things to you know for us to focus on in our lives. And one of the things you talk about in this new book is you know is going back to nature. And a lot of people say, you know, well, let's kind of go back to nature and and you know that'll help us sort of get in touch with ourselves and and you know that sort of thing. So, you're very skeptical of that 
concept. Maybe you could kind of tell me why you're skeptical is, is kind of going back to nature is not really a, a good way to, as a recipe for us to be happy. Yes, uh, because during the research, I mean, I started a bit also with the same conviction, say, okay, going back to nature is now a big fashion. Um, but uh, the research uh, did not prove it. Actually, I got very examples, many examples against that. Uh, I didn't find one single example of anyone um, solving a disruption by going back to nature. And this is, this is because um, we tend to romanticize a lot what is going back to nature. I mean, you really go and live in, in a very primitive environment without running water, electricity. Could be fun for a couple of days. But um, this is not the way to solve any problem. I mean, it's, it's a bit um, uh, uh, romantic. Uh, it has an emotional connotation of uh, purity and simplicity. But don't fool yourself. I mean, this is not going to solve any problem. Uh, it's very good. Very uh, extreme, too. It's an extreme way yes, to sort of you know, yes. deal with, with problems and think that it's going to get easier. You're going to be happy so, if you just sort of unplug and, and that's it. So when you talk about following these principles, what things can listeners that are not in the mindset of planning all the time and looking at, you know, improving on certain skill sets and really try every day to move, move the needle in a direction that's going to be in a more positive, organized fashion. What do you recommend our listeners do? Uh, one good tip to start in this process? Well, uh, if you don't know exactly what to do and then you say, okay, I want to become safer, but I don't know what just just do one thing diversify diversify uh, your sources of income diversify your investment uh, diversify your types of friends uh, even if you can learn another language because it will open uh, millions of possibilities diversify try uh, not to put all your skills or all your friends or all your finances all your investments in one basket it seems very simple it's totally counterintuitive because when people do something well they they want to do it all the time but eventually you will be blocked, you will be facing disruptions. You find this in history all the time, uh, diversification, uh, segmentation, uh, breaking things down to avoid risk, uh, to diversify your suppliers, to diversify your customers, to diversify your audience. It takes work, it is counterintuitive, um, it is annoying, uh, but uh, if you want to stay safe, it's, uh, it's 100% uh, um, uh, sure fire uh, recipe it always works diversification is uh, natural but if you see in history the cultures that have survived they were always very well diversified when they had uh, a drought when they could not uh, use uh, some kind of crop they used another one when they could not eat one thing they ate another thing but they survived because they were able to diversify and to adapt and that applies to so many different things. I mean, to finances, to health, to wealth, you know, uh, multiple streams of income, multiple sources of income. And uh, yeah, no, it, it makes total sense because if you, as you say, you know, you put all your eggs in one basket and somebody steals that basket, you got a big problem. <laughs> so um, that's uh, some very good advice uh, for everybody, I think, because we all do get comfortable. And we tend to, I think, a lot of times get lazy. You know, if, if things are going just fine, we expect them to go fine and, and they're never going to change. But unfortunately, life has a way of throwing us a curveball once in a while. And if we're not ready to, to see that curveball coming, it's going to take us by surprise. 
And depending on what it is, it could end up costing us dearly, either in our health or our wealth or ultimately our lives. Yeah, the, the principles that uh, you apply to stay safe, uh, you can use them also for, for many other areas. You can use it in project management. You can use it uh, in business development. Uh, let me just give you a, a short um, uh, example um, that shows you that the mentality uh, can be used uh, to your benefit in any circumstances. Look, uh, one of the stories I address in the book is uh, how uh, people built uh, cathedrals uh, in the Middle Ages. If you go to Europe, you will find these Gothic cathedrals. They're amazing. They're super high. And you have to realize that at that time in history, uh, it was very cold in the Middle Ages. It was, uh, uh, the winter was extremely cold. People were very small. They were uh, five um, feet. That was the average height in Europe. Uh, and how could they actually build these cathedrals when they have to deal with an amazing uh, number of disruptions? They had uh, the weather. Uh, logistics was very difficult. There were, of course, no cars. Uh, they have to move the stones one by one. Uh, they have to cut the stones. Uh, they have to design the whole thing. Like People could not read instructions. Nobody could read. So it was really a huge amount of disruption. And in the end, they built the cathedrals. Um, how did they do it? Uh, how could you actually learn from them? And it was only one guy, uh, Suger. His name was Suger. He was uh, an abbot uh, in, a, in a monastery in France. He figured out how to do it because until the, um, the 11th centuries, the technology was known how to build uh, these buildings, but nobody had put it together because it, it looked impossible. It looked, uh, there are so many disruptions, so many uh, obstacles. And Sujie figured out how to do it. And the principle is super interesting because you can apply it um, in your life or in your business uh, very easily. So Sujie uh, figured out that uh, he has to deal with all these problems. Uh, he has also a limited budget. Uh, he thought, okay, how can I uh, figure out a system that always works, that allows me to put together this cathedral uh, relatively quickly without disruptions. So what Suje did um, uh, was to figure out uh, a working system that uh, could deal with any disruption. And he put um, uh, together a team of masons and, uh, and carpenters. He, they built uh, houses, uh, wooden houses around the site. Uh, he was able to have people working full-time, all through the year, despite disruption. And he figured out that, okay, in the winter, we cannot work outside, so we are going to work inside. So they got the stones, uh, and he spent the winter in the houses cutting the stones. And then during the summer, they went outside, they put the stones from the cathedral, they built uh, a couple of meters, and then they went back to the winter, and they went back to the stones, and they continued to cut stones. So all through the year, he kept people working smoothly, and this is the key. If you find a way to work smoothly, um, Despite disruptions, you can put up cathedrals, uh, you can build uh, great businesses, you can do anything, but you have to think ahead. Uh, this guy, Sujet, uh, he was well-read uh, for his time. He had traveled, uh, he had seen a lot of things, and uh, he came with this idea that uh, allowed uh, him to build the cathedrals in 10 years. It is very short, 10 years to build a huge building with very low technology. And uh, What they did uh, when he built his first cathedral was Saint-Denis in France. Uh, people went to see it and they were amazed. How did you do it? And eventually they copied, uh, they copy pasted uh, his technology and they built cathedrals around France. So all the cathedrals in France, they look pretty much the same and they are all copied uh, from this guy, Sujie. 
And today in the 21st century, we can copy the principle, uh, figure out how to do things smoothly so that you can always continue to advance. You can always continue to work, even if it's too cold, even if you don't have enough stones, you have to figure out the system to do it. Uh, if you give up because it's too cold, because uh, it's too far away, uh, because people cannot read, whatever, uh, you are not thinking hard enough. Uh, Surgier was able to do it in the 11th century. Uh, I mean, you have to realize the level of technology was ridiculous, and they built these cathedrals. Uh, today, you can do much better. Especially, uh, you know, 21st century, we should be able to do that. So <laughs> that's awesome. Uh, John, uh, you know, if uh, people are interested in picking up your books, uh, where can our listeners uh, find a copy of your latest uh, book, Undisrupted, and uh, as well as your other books? Yeah, it's super, super easy to find. Uh, if you type my name on Google, uh, John Vespasian, uh, you will find my books, my website, my free newsletter. You'll find everything in one second. The name is very unusual. Even if you uh, misspell it, it doesn't matter. Uh, Google will point you out uh, to my uh, staff. It's available in Amazon, in the, in the Apple, web store, in the Apple uh, store. It's very easy to find. Just type John Vespasian. You will find everything in one second. And that's uh, V-E-S. Uh, let's see here. How we spell your name here, John, just so people have V-E-S-P-A-S-I-A-N, because you cannot hide from Google. It will find you. <laughs> so thanks so much for being on the show, and thanks uh, to all of our listeners for tuning in here. And uh, don't forget, you can get the more information as well as the latest news about safety at safetytalkpodcast.com for other episodes and uh, we'll see you on our next week's show we've got another exciting guest we'll be talking about uh, crisis communications should be a very interesting show so, until next time stay safe i'm pete canavan and we'll talk to you soon thanks for tuning in to safety talk you can listen to past episodes and get the latest safety news at our website safetytalkpodcast.com be sure to visit our other websites for free safety checklists and infographics you can also sign up for free online self-defense training, learn about college campus safety, and find out more about Pete and how he can help educate your school or business through his speaking, workshops, seminars, and consulting. Subscribe to the Safety Talk podcast and never miss out on any new safety information. Until next time, stay safe.